This reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, from the Message Translation. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of a mirror, ever gotten an inch taller? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wild flowers. They never print or shop. But have you ever seen colour and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting, so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You will find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Thanks be to God for his work. Amen. Thank God for some new translations of the scriptures that bring to life the heart of God for us. Many times I've read Matthew 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of the Jesus manifesto for living the kingdom life. Living under the rule, living under the reign of Jesus. Starts in Matthew 5, and you'll notice blessed or blessed are, and there are six or seven beatitudes, which could be translated, and in one translation are translated, happy are those. There's a tension in the life of Jesus. We pick up an Old Testament prophecy which we know is true of Jesus man of sorrows and acquainted with grief but actually that's not the sum total of Jesus' life in the main the canvas that you see in Jesus is one of joyful rested living centered in God focusing one day at a time we certainly don't see in Jesus a fretting and a striving and a worrying about the future yes as matters accelerate towards the cross yes we see Gethsemane 
Yes, we see the agony. Yes, we see the rejection. But in the ordinary ebb and flow of Jesus' life, for the majority of the three years that we see in the Gospel stories, we see a man who is glad to be alive and content. So what I would suggest is that when you read Matthew 6 and you hear a verse like, do not worry, it's not Jesus coming with a proverbial hammer to have a go at you, to criticize you and to tut at you. It's a man who knows how to be happy, to live contentedly in his relationship with the Heavenly Father, wanting to share the secret of his heart with his people. So Matthew 6, I sense, flows out straight out of Jesus' own life experience. How many of us want to live keeping in step with the Spirit, journeying with Jesus, knowing his heart for us, knowing what pleasures him, what brings delight to the Father. Knowing the release and the freedom that Jesus can bring to our lives. Who among us would actually, if we're honest, like just a little bit more happiness? It was a rhetorical question. There's a sense in which the God we worship is happy. So if this story that we've heard read from the contemporary English version from one of our youngsters, and then from the message from another of our youngsters, if this flows out of Jesus' own life experience... What does he say? He says, as an opening gambit, he says, Look, see. Look at the birds of the air. See the lilies of the field, how they grow. It's as though Jesus walking the Galilean hillside watches the birds wheeling around high upon the currents of the air, simply enjoying being alive. you ever look up, take a breather, take a breath of fresh air, and you see the birds, and I, I mean, I'm hopeless at identifying what's a buzzard, and what's a falcon, and what's a pigeon, and what's a dove, and I'm getting there. But Jesus would have seen with his eyes, and he invites his hearers to look and see the birds of the air. They simply do not strive. They simply do not have it in them to worry. And in the main, the bird enjoys its life, its span, its provision. See the lilies of the field. Well, the word lily is a generic word and it, co- it covers dozens of flowers. 
anemone, crocus, hyacinth, loads of flowers with their fragrance and with their beauty and with their colour. I was in Oxfam yesterday, impressing people by my early Christmas present purchases. (laughs) And there was a BBC Gardener's World hardback book by Alan... Sir Alan Titchmarch. Retail price, a couple of years ago, eighteen ninety-nine. I bought it for the princely sum of three ninety-nine. So if you get a nice big hardback <laughs> But it takes you month by month through the calendar of the Christ of the of the of the of the year. And you see what flowers you can expect in March and June and September and October. And it's just full of vibrant colour and shapes and textures. And it's as though we are journeying with Jesus and he says, See, these dozens, countless dozens of different kinds of flowers growing in the fertile soil. It's as though Jesus held his breath at their fragile beauty which didn't come having spent hours in front of the mirror didn't stem from trawling the shopping precincts looking for the clothes that will flatter Jesus is pointing our eye helping us to see the world in a new light To see glorious beauty, God-given beauty, fragile beauty, tender beauty, in God's good creation. And then he makes a question which is breathtaking, staggeringly breathtaking. Are you not much more valuable than these? When Jesus asks that rhetorical question, he's seeking the answer to be a resounding, creation-shattering, yes, you are more valuable than these. You count far more to him. It's in that context that Jesus brings challenge it can only be in that context that we can respond to that challenge in a way that doesn't leave us defeated and deflated and dejected it's only out of that place of knowing that we have a loving heavenly father knowing that we're accepted in him knowing that we're cherished and loved by him knowing that we count for him As there are countless stars on, on the horizon of a night sky, we're more than that to him. You are known by God, loved by God, cherished by God, desired by God. He took delight in your arrival on planet Earth. (laughs) Yet, Do we not catch ourselves worrying about things? Thinking, preoccupied thoughts, where our elevation slips from looking up 
to looking around and looking down. Physical necessities, financial circumstances, relational pressures. Jesus does not say that these things are nothing, but he helps us by grace to put them in their proper perspective, their rightful place. There's a contrast, verse 32 and verse 33. Verse 32 says, The pagans, people who don't know God, run after these things. Fine clothes, best food, accommodation. The contrast is, don't run after these things. No, you must seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given you as well. We are to run after God. To seek God. To be right with God. The safest place in the universe is to be right with God even if you're wrong with everybody else. Seek first the rule of Jesus. Seek to be right with Him in your heart. And guess what? All these things will be given you, it says. Literally, all these things will run after you. Don't run after them. I had a bill to pay. And friends said, how are you going to pay that? And I said, I don't know. (laughs) And I didn't know. But I was kind of immersing myself in this text. So I was a bit blasé about it and said, well, I don't know, but really I don't care. I also owed somebody a modest amount of money and I made an attempt to pay that money back. And that person says, don't worry about it. So in the divine economy of grace, money that was to be given was actually received and is available to pay to other. Now, if only in life everything were that simple. But don't you think that if we allowed our hearts to be touched afresh by grace and stopped the pursuit of getting and entered the adventure of giving, that you might be the answer to another person's prayer, that you might be a means of God's grace being manifest in their life, And that we would find ourselves to be an outrageously adventurous people in living for God, living uncluttered lives, unfettered lives, free from cares and worries, carefree in the care of God. Because Jesus poses a number of questions about this worrying he suggests that at the core of it is a distrust of God. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God has given such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? take pride in you, do his best for you. Maybe what needs to happen is 
a reshaping of our understanding of God, who God is, what God is like. Do we see him and project uh, an earthly father experience onto him? Mean, distant? Or do we allow the Spirit of God to open up healing whereby our image of God is transformed? And we see generosity. We see infinite patience. We see oozing of mercy. We see a holiness in passion for us that draws out of us changes that we never dreamt we were able to make because they flow out of a heart that connects with God. Is the Spirit of God saying, trust Him afresh? Is the Spirit of God saying, just review your priorities. Jesus suggests that worry indicates wrong priorities. And his word to us is, don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns with, will be met. How? By steeping your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. By getting to know both God and how he works living free and unfettered, as it says, careless in the care of God. Bottom line, Jesus says, worry is pointless. <laughs> I had a bit of a trawl on the internet for some wise quotes, and here's one that I quite liked. Worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. <laughs> Jesus puts it this way, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Or a single inch to his height, which implies continuing to grow longer life. Some people are so hooked on worry that if they haven't got anything to worry about, they worry that they've forgotten something. <laughs> I think it was Corrie Ten Boom, precious saint who said, worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrows, it only saps today of its joy and strength. See, I'm convinced Jesus, in speaking the Sermon on the Mount, was less concerned about exegetical accuracy and more concerned about making some people laugh. Did you not raise a smile, you know, by adding an inch to your height? Really? By suggesting that the lilies could work harder to get their clothing? Or elsewhere in the same sermon series, take that splinter out of someone else's eye, but retain the plank in your own. Collecting grapes from thorns and figs from thistles. He's provoking a response, isn't he? Why pray when you can worry? You don't need a preacher to make you feel guilty. I'm trying ever so hard not to. But Philippians 4, 
Does anybody have the message translation here this morning? Min does. Mary, Mary, would you read Philippians 4, if you're able, verses 6 and 7? I came out ill-prepared, but I didn't worry about it. Yeah. Can everybody hear from there? Yes. It's wonderful when Christ displaces worry at the centre of our lives. Take your fretting, your worrying, and shape it into prayer and bring it before God. And in so doing, know his care for you. How much more will your loving Heavenly Father give good gifts, give the Holy Spirit, give you wisdom, give you the wherewithal in that tough relationship. I don't know whether I've done the right thing, but it's not so much a harvest display as an opportunity for us to respond to God. And it's for you to take or to leave as you wish. I'm trusting that we might have a piece of music by Dire Straits entitled, Why Worry? Let's see whether we can listen. And as you listen, either in silence or to the piece of music, begin to ask the Lord to show you by His Spirit those things that you carry as worries, that you fret about, that disturb you and rob you of your peace. I'm then going to ask Esther and Heather, if they're willing, to gently come down with the two heart-shaped boxes, within which are acorns and conkers, different sizes, different shapes. If you'd like to take one and hold one as a way of focusing your thoughts from the issue to God, then take one. Then there'll be an opportunity to come forward a little later to give it to God. Let's be still and talk to the Lord.
Many of us are holding a a symbol of the season. The winds blew last night. Leaves falling. Summer give way gives way to autumn. Some of us winter beckons and we're not not sure. But these things that have fallen, different shapes, you may have picked one intentionally because it was big and you feel your problem is big. You may be holding one that's very small and you may say, this is trivial, I can't bring this before the Lord. large or small this is a seed maybe it's time to sow it into God 